Welcome back to the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host, as always, Robbie Burke. And before we get into today's show, I just want to give a shout out to all of the show's sponsors. Firstly, upmentorship.com, which is one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. The Ultimate Performance Online Mentorship is 20 hours of top-class strength and conditioning information available for instant access right at your fingertips. To find out more, head over to upmentorship.com, which is linked up in the show notes. Check it out and help support the show. Next, I want to give a shout out to Altus360 and Altus Education, which are two outstanding online resources for any practitioner in the sports preparation profession. Be sure to head over to the show notes and check out these unique platforms. Next, I want to give a shout out to Joseph Johnson at Ultimate Alley Concepts. Ultimate Alley Concepts is a multifaceted company providing the most sophisticated scientific material in sports science. Ultimate Alley Concepts is the world's leading resource for translated sports preparation material. Next, I want to give a shout out to Papi's National Sports Performance Association, which is an online certification platform for professionals within the sports preparation profession. Currently, the NSPA has four certifications available. Speed and Agility, delivered by Lee Taft. Olympic Weightlifting, delivered by Will Fleming. Nutrition, delivered by Dr. Chris Moore. And Program Design, delivered by Coach Robert Dos Remedios. For more information on the NSPA, be sure to check out all of the links in the show notes. Finally, I want to thank another brainchild of Pat Beef's, Athletes Acceleration, which is another online medium that delivers excellent educational resources for strength and conditioning professionals. And just like with all of our other sponsors, head over to the show notes to get the links to all of the available products that Athletes Acceleration has to offer. A full disclosure, except for Altus360 and Altus Education, I am an affiliate to all of the show sponsors. Lastly, before we get into today's interview, I just want to let all the listeners know that the podcast is now on Patreon. If you feel that you are in a position to support the show, I would truly appreciate any donations you'd be willing to make to help support the podcast. Okay, that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into today's show. This episode's guest is Ian Mackers McKeown from the Port Adelaide Football Club in Australia. Ian is the head of athletic development at Port Adelaide, balancing the complex interaction of injury prevention, long-term athlete development, athletic performance, and elite strength and conditioning. On this episode, Mackers and I discuss Mackers' background, I asked Mackers why did he decide to go to Australia. I asked Mackers who have been the biggest influences on him both professionally and personally. I asked Mackers what are the good and not so good things that he currently sees within the sports performance profession and what solutions would he offer for the not so good things that he currently sees. I asked Mackers to outline the demands of Aussie rules. I asked Mackers to share with us his training philosophy and system. I asked Mackers... How does he get his players to buy into the importance of sprint mechanics? I asked Mackers about foot conditioning that he does with his players. I asked Mackers to share with us the off-season training at Port Adelaide and what does this look like? And finally, I asked Mackers what does he do from a movement assessment standpoint and what physical testing does he do with the boys at Port? Guys, this was an absolutely brilliant episode with Mackers. And I hope you really, really enjoy it. 
All right, Mackers, thanks so much for making time to speak to me in your evening, my morning. So we, we finally pulled it together, even though we, even I, I, I still or we still sort of fecked up the time. But sure, listen, we're here right now, and that's all that matters. But for any of the listeners, Ian, who's not familiar with who you are, just fill us in on the background. Sure. Um, you know, it's always a difficult one because, um, you know, this is normally a bit that some people fast forward through and it probably actually gives you the more context towards some of the, the random answers and sort of maybe some of the, the you know, how, I've, how I come to how I think and all the rest of it. And I think it's an important part of it. So I'll try not to, to blather too much, but um, I'll try and give people a relatively decent overview of, um, of my travels so far. Um, so uh, it's great to speak there fellow Irishman um, so I can actually give a little bit more detail um, you'll appreciate it a bit more than than some of the other sort of maybe from the US and whatever but um, so originally from Cumber in County Down um, grew up um, there I went to went to school grounded grammar school went to uh, Jordanstown um, where I did my sports science degree um, and then from there it was just as, as an interesting Best in time in Northern Ireland um, because it was just as the Sports Institute um, had been put in place or it was starting to be funded um, properly. So it was before the big building that anyone who goes to Jordanstown and know that, that high performance building that what didn't used to be there. So um, that's when I sort of started to to, to get interested in um, strength and conditioning and sort of more of the high performance sport. Um, part of uh part of my journey um but my coaching journey probably started um long before that uh so it started you know i was a hockey man um originally so i played played hockey underage level 16s 18s and 21s um that's kind of where i got into a little bit more of the some more elite training environments um on alongside the sports institute coming on, on board that was kind of a few a few things aligned there um, but my coaching actually goes back to probably just as I left as I left school um, my my summer jobs were looking after you know the summer schemes at the local councils um, and that um, you know that meant coaching tennis badminton squash hockey football whatever and it was dealing with kids from five right up to 15 so like you sort of you know I was honing my coaching skills or my certainly my organization of of sessions skills um, from from very early on probably before I really knew what I wanted to get into um so I kind of had a had a love for you know making people better at sport um and then probably got more into the physical side of it um and the the more technical side of it once I got into the the sports science degree side of things and so academia and sort of the more book smarts sort of clicked for me um around the same time so sort of went battled through school but then once I started to learn about how things can actually relate to sport and sports performance. Um, I, yeah, I, I find a new lease of life around, um, around learning and biology and physics and chemistry and all the other beautiful things which uh, go into human performance. So um, I have been a lifelong learner ever since. Um, so once, uh, once the Jordanstown stuff finished, um, the, the university were looking to align themselves with Sinai um, and sort of start to, to look after the other sports, which maybe sat outside of the, um, the high performance environment, which was being funded by UK sport. So uh, I just happened to be there at the right time. And I took over um, the performance services wing of Jordanstown uh, or University of Ulster 
Um, so I started that a long time ago now, but um, looking after some of the Irish League clubs, looking after some of the underage sort of sports that maybe weren't weren't within that high performance remit from Sinai. Um, so I looked after them as a sports scientist, physiologist, strength and conditioning coach, whatever they needed, um, I did. Um, so I, I cut my teeth very early with that staff. And then I was lucky enough to get a job at, as a full-time strength and conditioning coach at Sinai. Um, and I spent five years there looking after um, the Gaelic football program, the track and field program, and the, the hockey programs. And obviously being around the Ulster Rugby Academy at the same time, being around um, some of those other fantastic athletes and, and sports that were there. Time came about five years into that that um, I felt like I needed to to look elsewhere or, or look internationally for, for my next challenge. Um, and the, this, uh, this, this unique role at the, sports, at the Australian Institute of Sport came up, which was a PhD in strength and conditioning or in the strength and conditioning department um, that also included uh, more than just being a student. So it was actually, there was a a coaching remit within that as well, um, which was very important to me. So um, I had to interview essentially twice. I had to interview as if I was getting an academic post as a PhD student. And then I had to interview as if I was a strength and conditioning coach. um, And that, that largely reflected my my uh, my workplace, my my environment that I had to work within for the next um, three years. So I spent three years in Canberra um, doing my PhD research coaching um, down there. So my PhD work was in power development and movement ability, um, which uh, is an area close to my heart, uh, particularly around the movement ability and, and athletic ability of of, of junior athletes. Um, and that was done largely with the basketball and volleyball teams at the AIS, so the, the underage national teams. And at the same time, I was lucky enough to work at ACTAS, which is the ACT Academy of Sport, which um, drills a bit deeper into the development side of um, the, the high-performance environment in Canberra. And the, also the Matildas. So I looked after the Matildas, so it's the, the, the senior female soccer team, uh, football team um, in Australia. So that was a fantastic experience there as well. I learned an awful lot from some fantastic physios and and sports coaches. Um, From there, uh, I got the Skype Skype message from from Darren Burgess or Burjo um, when he was at Liverpool and he knew he was coming back to Australia didn't necessarily know where exactly, but um, he, he sort of sent me a cryptic yeah, text message saying, you know, did I fancy a job working as a strength and conditioning coach for him? And that's pretty much all she wrote. After that, I was gone. I was going to jump on. And I've been, once we knew we were going to Port Adelaide, um, I was on the, packed everything up and, and drove down from Canberra to Adelaide and started pre-season. And that was now seven seasons ago. Um, so I've spent five seasons as the uh, sort of in various guises as the head of S&C, which then turned into the head of athletic development, which then when Darren left to go to Arsenal, I took it up an interim position as head of high performance and then officially 
started that role um, round about this time last year. So I'm a, this is my second season in charge as head of high performance. So we're into week two of preseason already. Um, and, and I think that gets people up to date. I'm sure there's plenty more bits and there's lots of pieces I've, I've probably dusted over, but hopefully um, maybe our, the questions that come out of it, will um, we can get into a little bit more detail around it. Yeah, I have a few questions before we go. Um, before we go any further, why did you go to Australia? Why not America or somewhere else? And um, also, just timeline-wise, can you fill us in a little more there? So, like, what year did you do your degree? What were the years you were yeah. at the Institute of Sport up in Northern Ireland? What was the time frame when you went then over to Australia? So, time frame, and then why, why Australia for your PhD? Timelines. Uh, I graduated in. I graduated from Jordanstown in '05, okay. and I worked between Jordanstown and Sinai up until I left, which I believe was 2009. So it was the end of 2009. Okay. okay. So it was in between those two times. Um, and don't hold me. Um, I keep I keep on getting the years wrong it's been so it's now 10 years or nine ten years now so it's it's been a long time there's been a lot of water gone on the bridge since then but i think yeah. that i think that's right um and the reason that i'm behind going to australia rather than america now we haven't teed this up at all but this is an interesting one because i actually around the time around 05 i actually did my gre which is the entrance exam for postgrad in the states mm. um so when I'm, i knew i, I always kind of had this feeling that i i was always going to do something overseas and kind of way i, I i'm a very organized person or a very strategic person so i like to have all my ducks in a row and i actually invested a fair amount of time in doing my gre i actually drove down to i remember driving down to dcu from 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 home um, to North Dublin there just to, to do the, the online exams um, which which are a bit like the SATs but I think I I could be wrong but I think it's at a, just a slightly higher level just to make sure that you're appropriate for their postgrad um, the courses there and I actually had enrolled at um, California State Long Beach um, mm. now I didn't take up the offer as at the same time, I got a, a PhD offer at the University of Ulster, and I decided that the the job and the the Jordanstown role was probably a little bit more sensible at the time. But actually, you know, the the America thing has always been on the on the cards, uh, or it was at that time. The decision in the end was that um, I was going to the the pinnacle of of Australian Olympic sport, and I was going to be coaching there full time. I didn't have to go through the the GA, the internship, the whatever I, as you would in the US. Um, I was going straight into a paid position, and probably having been a or sorry, it wasn't paid; it was I was a scholarship position. But um, having been already sort of in the workforce for five years, I felt that was probably a little bit more appropriate. I think so. It changed a little bit for me once I got down to Oz, but um, it was 
one of those uh, one of those life defining moments when you stepped on that plane to uh, to to go down here and never look back. And um, I, I have not regretted it for one minute. Yeah, yeah. So it's always uh, it's always interesting, you know, talking to people who've made big big moves in their lives, you know, be it to like Australia or or America. You know, I know Mark Kilgallen, who's with the Swans. Yeah. Like, you know, he's made yeah. mul- multiple big moves. I mean, <laughs> Mark was telling sure me, uh, Mark was telling me he was interned. So for any listener, Mark is from Cork in Ireland, but Mark's mm-hmm. been all over the world. He's currently the head S and C with a. Uh, Sydney Swans, but Mark was like he interned at Harvard, and then he'd go home for the summer to Ireland to earn money on the building site, so he'd go back and do more interning at Harvard. And then he was uh, he was was at the Institute of Sport of Northern Ireland. Then he went to to Doha to aspire, and then he went back to Wales rugby. Now he's at Sydney, so he's been all over the world. But yeah, it's it's always interesting. Yeah, it sure has. Yeah, it's always interesting. Like just I always just think about moving and like oh fuck imagine all the books i'd have to bring with me i'd have to bring a fucking cargo because I, oh, I just man, I, was... I, I just love my books like people are always like would you not leave your books behind like no i need my library yeah i think that was i had i had two suitcases and then i shipped the box and the box was full of books i i that was <laughs> that was that was my my priority sat at that time yeah my my, my problem like... makers is that uh, it'd be about fucking 40 boxes i'd be shipping yeah over. Uh, but anyway, listen. This, that's, is, this uh, is before this is before Kindles and all sorts of cool shit as well. Like this was, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was really back in the day. Pre Kindles, we're di- we're dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um. So listen, that's that's savage. I I love getting a full background because again, it it gives us a, a greater frame of reference for the rest of the discussion. Just in terms of your influences, uh, Ian, who've been your biggest influences on you professionally and personally? Um. Yeah. No. I, I was cheating because I was listening to you talk to uh, Andy Galpin um, earlier on today. So um, first thing was, shit, I knew this question was going to come up. And secondly, it was, um, thank fuck I can swear. Uh, Because (laughs) you you two were flying um, as you were going through it. So um, that that put me at ease. But um, I guess my influence is, um, like, um, without being... uh, too sentimental about it. I think um, my family's probably been my biggest ones from my mum and dad, um, particularly around um, how I think, how I, how I, how I, hopefully how I behave, how I do things. Um, I'm pretty much my, my dad, but but a, a better looking version of him. And my, and obviously then the, the second and probably the, the most important influence is probably being Christy. So my wife, Christy Taylor, who, um, is also works in strength and conditioning and her PhD in AIS. And, you know, she, she has, um, blazed the trail, um, before I did. And, and, you know, to be honest, she's the one that makes, she makes me better with when she was helping me out doing my PhD stuff. She was the one who wouldn't let me just, just get it done. You know, I had to do it to a certain standard and she's the one that, that I keep driving for, you know, that she's the one that, that makes, that makes me, um, makes those standards, sort of achievable before me and make sure that I actually get to them. Um, and probably, you know, the, the other thing about the family was just, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier was, you know, if I ever had to, if I ever had to do sort of, if I ever wanted to do something, I had to nearly have to propose it, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the logic the what was the background I'd just done around it. So if I said, okay, I want to go to America, well, you know, how much is it going to cost? Have you done, what qualifications do you need? What certifications do you need? 
what is the insurance like? What do you need? You know, like a very, very logical and strategic way of thinking. Um, and I guess that's, I've always had that, whether it was like buying toys or, or going on holidays or, or anything like that. So that, and, and that's definitely how I, um, my brain works in, in my job at the moment. And, and I guess always has done from a programming and coaching point of view as well. So, um, they're the, they're the, the my principal, um, influences outside of that. And, and I, I sort of always get caught cause I don't want to just drop names and then just leave it there. Cause there's a lot of people that are, that, that have been, that have helped me along the way. And I, I hate to leave people out, but you know, the, the, I guess the life defining ones are the ones you always remember. It was the first time I met Kelvin Giles. Um, that was, that was a phenomenal experience. And, and he's certainly someone I try and, um, live up to or, or make sure that, that, that I, I can always always um, make sure that, that whatever I'm doing he would be proud of um, so that's that's an important one for me um, there's obviously the guys at Sinai um, back in the day that sort of helped me on my way um, and then even though I'm probably my biggest influence and I, he always will be would be would be around Burjo as well because he got me my start in AFL but we're also I'm very good friends and we we keep in contact all the time now, even though he's a big wig um flying the world and doing all fantastic things in the Premier League. Um we still still find time to, to give each other shit and um ask questions when we need to. Do you stay in regular contact with Virgil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to. Like, you know, he's a busy, busy man and I pretend to be. And <laughs> I guess we 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 had a we actually were lucky there. We went to um the Conca Sports um program in Cape Town and we and we had a we had a few a few days there um with uh, another good uh good friend and colleague Tim O'Leary um who's our physio our physio uh, down at Port um yeah. so the three of us got the band together for for three days down there so we were able to catch up and 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 properly um unpack probably the last 18 months which was phenomenal it's always really good to catch up with him and and just get his advice and and his read on things as well. Wow, Cape Town, that must have been great. Tim Tim O'Leary's still there. It's funny because I listened back to your interview with Rob Pacey done like three years ago. I was when I was when I was looking back, I was like, holy fuck, this is 2015. And uh, yeah. you, were, you were saying Tim was the physio, so it's in, it's good to hear he's still down there. Uh, yeah, he's 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 done this, he's done the NBA thing in the middle, but now he's back working for us. So he's back last year, so it's back last year was his full year and then we're into our second year together oh, brilliant. where was he in the nba uh he was with he was at the bucks with um mike snelling and uh suki and troy flanagan and that that and that crowd um, so he's he's now back and yep loving it yeah i know mike lur who was the head strength conditioning coach for the the warriors the last two years they won the championship oh excellent oh very yeah, he, good he's gone to that very he's good. gone He's gone to the Hawks though now, I think, for whatever, probably just family oh, reasons. Yeah. They wanted to move back, probably, I think. Yeah. They, they family originally from the East Coast. Like, even when he got the Hawks or the Golden State Warriors job, initially, like, he was asked, and he turned it down. And then, oh. and then <laughs> like, because they, they really didn't, I don't think his family wanted, I don't know what words is about, but I think it was because his family just really didn't want to go move to the West Side or whatever. Yeah. And then, like, I think they're kind of like, fuck it. You know, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty, oh. good, pretty good decision in terms of the success they had. Yeah, that's a genuine first world problem right there, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You took the words right out of it. Exactly. First world problem. That's my, that's my, that's what I've really been focusing on the last year or two years is that like 
keep saying it to everyone like and anyone in a first world country that has a problem really has a privilege <laughs> but anyway laggers this is uh, i want to get down to more specifics in around you know obviously your work there at port Adelaide. before we get into that you probably heard this uh, question as well as you were saying you're listening to the galpin episode but uh, in, in terms of the good and not so good things that you see within the physical preparation and sports science professions, what are the good and not so good things you're seeing? And for the not so good things, what solutions would you offer? Uh, so the good thing, good thing at the moment, um, I think we're we're starting to swing back towards um, actually the people who are the best are the people who give a shit. And it's not the people who have the best tech out there. I think that that's that that seems to be how people are are starting to realize they're going back to the human side of human performance. That that you know that 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 is the crucial part of it. And you know, as as smart and you know as some people are, if 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 you're a social retard, you're you're done. You know, you can't you can't you can't work in in this mm. in this business. Um. So I'm really happy that we're we're going back that way. Um. And that probably leads on to the, the, you know, the not so good stuff. Um, yeah, I, th- I think back, and and I'm I'm as big a culprit as anybody. I I used to be huge on Twitter. I used to be a real fucking pest. I look back on some of the shit I used to write on Facebook. Um, when I first came to Australia, I think it was just because I was bored and lonely. Didn't have as many friends, but I was always on social media, and it was probably before like you know before Instagram, before. Facebook was really took off and I had a blog and I, you know, I'd put up stupid stuff or not stupid stuff, but I put up fun stuff as well as sort of my opinion pieces as I was, I guess I was just trying to learn how to write again after, after not doing it for so long um, and trying to write PhD stuff. So it was good practice for me at the time. Um, so I certainly look back and cringe at some of the stuff I wrote, but I feel like at the moment we're, we're in this era of just, you just got to shout louder than everybody else and you got to be more controversial and you just, you know, it's got to the stage where, you know, I still keep questioning myself, you know, is this something, you know, I should really should be out there more, doing more, putting myself out more, but it's just, it's just too tiresome. I just couldn't be arsed having to deal with all the, all the dickheads out there. I'm more than happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk to me. I'll jump on calls. I'll, I'll spend time with people. I have absolutely no issue with that. I just don't want to get into a blind debate with some fucktard who has no idea of what they're doing or what I'm doing and still thinks that they're better than me. I just could, I just don't have time for it um, emotionally anymore. Um, and I don't think that anyone should, I think that the negative juju of that stuff just, it's just, it just wore me out. So I, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that I just see. And you just, I just cringe every time you, you, know, you see something and you know, we all keep an eye on the social media stuff. Obviously it's, you know, that's kind of our, it's our world now. And you see some of the, the idiotic stuff and you go that's just not helping anybody this stuff being out there that's just ridiculous um and you know it might be getting them a fast buck at the moment but it's certainly not helping them get a job with me later on in, in life and um for me that's probably the biggest the biggest thing for me at the moment yeah I'm so really- to solve it oh, yeah, i'm not sure i i'm, I'm really sorry and i i, I knew one of your things don't bitch if you can't solve it so shut the fuck up mm. um so um i i i'm not certain if we can solve society's issues i think it's larger than strength and conditioning or performance science sports science whatever you want to call us it. um it's probably a bit bigger than that but um 
I do think that it it does come down to a little bit of social responsibility of maybe people who are in positions of influence not getting caught up in that and maybe showing people the right way to do things. That's um, so, you know, talking sense on podcasts, not being, you know, coming across with a level attitude, coming across with open eyes and an open heart to a few things. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's my way of solving the problem, even if it is just, you know, one person or, or whoever at a time. Yeah, just two things to add to that is I'm I'm actually reading Kyle Newport's book Deep Work, like, and you know he he completely yes he, yeah. complete, he completely despises social media because it leads to shallow work as he says and doesn't allow you to get into deep work. But uh, second thing there is like you know people who are coming across as or are are being perceived as you know dickheads in social media, like really it's just a coping mechanism. That's all it is. You know, it's like when. You know, I all say to people, and this is this isn't for me. This is from the influence of the the book, The Four Agreements. Like you can only choose to be offended, and the and the reason why, quote unquote, you might say someone is being offensive is really they're dealing with their own shit and they're just projecting it out into you, and you just happen to be in 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 the moment with that individual. You know, to be on the the end of receiving their quote-unquote offense you know so behavior is very interesting like like i've it's it's an area i've studied in depthly over the last almost 10 years now since my since my early 20s and you know since my early 20s i've I've really worked on appreciation of understanding that everyone and everything is the way they are for a reason and you know studying like epigenetics and realizing listen the environment is absolutely huge when it comes to an organism's expression and so like whenever you're kind of looking at a certain behavior from an individual like you got to ask like you know what what environmental factors led to someone acting like that in that specific moment in time you know so you got to think of things like obviously what was their environment like when they were fetus in their mother like what was their upbringing like what was their family what was their culture their you know their, their social economic status the society the society that they're from is there a religious factor in this and then like so they're all sort of more chronic factors in terms of they've developed someone from like an ex- an experience standpoint and they're you know they're basically like their br- how their brain perceives and sees the world and then there's more there's more acute factors to behavior like well did they sleep last night what's their blood sugar like what's their circadian rhythm like and you know loads of stuff like that so so, so many things go into like deciding or go into like explaining i should say what why someone is acting the way they are in a specific moment in time and like when you kind of can get to that level of awareness in your thinking it, it gives you an appreciation that you know what i instead of trying to condemn i really should step back and try and ask the question well why did someone do that and then try to understand and show compassion and empathy and discernment and basically just always ask why and the key thing is with that too Marcus, you're right though is that so basically I always say like I unconditionally love everyone and everything, but people confuse that then with that. I give everyone and everything a free pass. And that's not what unconditional love is. Unconditional love just means you have acceptance for everyone and everything. But that doesn't mean that you have to like everyone or everything. Like you can like dislike someone or something, but unconditional love just means that uh, like, I understand that that individual or that situation is the way it is for a reason. It doesn't mean I have to like it but I, I've come to acceptance. And when you come to acceptance, it allows you then to keep your energy and focus it on areas that, you, that actually matter in your life 
that you can control rather than most people in the world they keep their energy into external factors they can't control oh, the weather or did you see the news <laughs> did you read the news about this kid who did drugs in DCU and actually that actually was a story that came out lately and someone told me yesterday I'm like and what factors does it have in your life whatsoever like why are you even telling me about why don't you take the energy that you're doing about complaining about the fucking weather and stuff like that and like put it into like areas that matter like uh, feeding the world ending world hunger you know what I mean or even just like controlling factors within your own life but I, I, I get you it's all a coping mechanism and I say all this shit in as somebody who's as flawed and has his own baggage and his own demons that he wrestles, wrestles with on a moment-to-moment basis as, as every other person listening to this right now. And anyone who's consistently listening to my podcast hears me say this shit all the time. But it's, it's probably just such a huge factor of who I am as a human. So it resonates with me, you know. So I understand completely where you come from and I think you're completely right to withdraw from it in terms of your energy. I put that energy towards your, you know, your, your kid and, and your partner and obviously your work with, with Port Adelaide, which we're going to get into right now. But if you've anything you want to add to that, feel free. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was going to jump in, and I, I didn't, but, and I think you're completely right. It, it, it's not that what I've, what I've learned to do is, is not necessarily accept it, but let it, let it flow over me, let it go. Okay, well, right, that's how they are. But, and again, that, the point is that it's not going to help them with me. You know, yeah. like they, they can do whatever they want out there, and that's fantastic. They, they, as long as they, you know, they can get on with it because it's not affecting my world and 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 how I live. Um, but make note that it's not helping you get a job with me either, particularly if that's, if that's sort of one of your, one of your <laughs> ulterior motives to it. So like you, you know, your cards marked, um, and that's, that's a bit, that, that's, that's the important part. You know, I, I completely agree with you and, and that I understand the, the, the empathy part of it. That's, it's, it's very, very true. And I think we've got there and I'm pretty happy with, with, with how I've, how I justify that that thought process at the moment anyway. Yeah, yeah. So note to the listeners, don't piss off Mackers. Particularly if, particularly, <laughs> particularly if you want to visit Port Adelaide. Yeah, it's a developed sledgehammers approach really. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Listen, so I'll tell you what, I uh I it's funny, the last few months I've really been getting into Aussie Rules football and actually the NFL. Like so I've been watching like loads of documentaries yeah. on like great teams and coaches and um, I'm be more into the NFL now lately, just because the NFL's on. But during the summer yeah. this year, now I watched a lot on Aussie Rules. Um, so obviously West Coast Eagles won the Premiership this year, which was a bit of a surprise. I think everyone was expecting Richmond to do a back to back, even though it was Collingwood they ended up playing. But listen, t- t- tell the listeners for anyone who's not too familiar, you know, about Australian Rules football. Like, kind of give us a needs analysis of the sport and just fill us in, and I'll follow up with any questions that I have for you. Sure. So, so probably the biggest thing to to start off with is is the actually the size of the ground. So you, it's played on the cricket oval. So if anyone sort of drives past the cricket oval, it's pretty bloody big. It's it's way bigger than a Gillick pitch, bigger than a football pitch. Um, and so you're covering you're covering some serious distances. It's a seriously long time as well. So you know you're talking your 120 minutes um, plus of of a game. You're talking you know, you're talking upwards of 15Ks in a, in a game of running. Um, a fair amount of that, depending on your position, can be a lot of high speed um, and, and an awful lot of sprinting. And because it's such a long um, ground, those efforts can, you know, it can come in uh, longer efforts rather than just, you know, short, sharp stuff, which you might see in soccer. Um, and the other side of it is obviously the contact side of it. So the difference between, say, the Gaelic football side of things and the, AFL is that you know you're actually in the full 
full contact um, tackling um, and the difference between you know some of the other sport you know the, particularly when the Americans see say it is that you know there's no pads you know your sleeveless tops your you know, your short shorts um, which is completely against anything that they would they would actually see it that's pretty <laughs> obscene and before they even do anything um, so these boys are they're they're lean as hell they're tall as hell they're very skillful um, and you know they can they can run all day um, so it's a and tough as hell very very tough boys um, so it's quite a quite an interesting mixture um, of of the, of of the different physical capacities and and also the technical capacities of the sport you know so you you you're dealing with a sport which it isn't like uh, your your defensive line so like your rugby type um, sports where you know you're all in one line or your NFL but you're actually playing in 360 degrees there's no no offsides as well you know that type of thing so you actually end up with quite a quite an interesting mix of of sports and influences um, everything from a lot of basketball influence from the tight in stuff from the chaotic nature of of the 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 contested work right out to, you know, you're right into your soccer and, in, and even, and even beyond that into any other sport that's out there, you know, it seems to be a nice mixture of them all. So it's, um, large, largely regarded and mostly from AFL people as probably the ultimate sport from a physicality point of view, um, to, to work within. Um, so, uh, I think that gives you a fair idea. It's obviously, it's an, it's an oval ball as well. So you've got that sort of chaotic nature of it as well. So mm. guys are incredibly skillful. Um, you'll see some, you'll see some guys bounce the ball like it's a basketball um, and, and do some incredible things with it, um, which are very, very impressive to watch in real life. Um, and you'll see, you know, they're, they're kicking it, handballing it and, um, you know, catching it are the main skills. So how long is the season? Um, so you're talking you're talking twenty plus weeks, so you plus a few buys in there, so you can do anything up to about twenty six weeks um, of of play. And from a just going a little bit deeper with the needs analysis. So if we're looking at the uh, bioenergetics, massive aerobic demand. The, f- the fucking ground they cover is sick. It's like a mini, yeah. mar- like it's half marathon nearly every week. They're going now. Um, yeah, whenever you include the warm up and everything else that goes into the game, oh, yeah, you're talking twenty. Yeah, you can easily cover that. Yeah, yeah. So massive aerobic component, but yet there still needs to be, you know, uh, an alactic capacity element in terms of you know repeated sprint ability, tackling, um, so and also just from just an observation too, from what when I was unit, uh, if we're getting if we're sticking to this theme of needs analysis, if we're just talking about like the com- most common injuries, it seems to be a shit ton of shoulder injuries. The lads always have their shoulders like like um, like wrapped up, like the load of them like wrapped their shoulders. Up. Why? Why? Like I know they'll probably tackle, but our shoulders are huge thing in Aussie rules. Yeah, well, you get a lot of them uh, like stingers. They seem to get a lot of stingers too, don't yeah. they? You get a lot of stingers. You get a lot of um, so because you're getting tackled from different positions, yeah, you can get yeah. yourself into in sort of awkward positions. And then there's also the fact that you're, you know, if you've watched them take marks, they kind of mark the ball in the air, in mid air, jumping off somebody, and then you land. You can obviously land on your shoulder, um, or you can put your hand out to stop yourself. So there's a lot of you'll you'll slip. Yeah, your, your sublux maybe as you fall, put, trying to yeah. put your hand out and you'll slip forward. Um, and and the thing with, with the tipping, um, 
you know, there's obviously there, because of the contact and sheer physicality. There's a lot of there's a lot of niggles and lots of um, difficult different shoulder injuries within it. But then also these guys are so tough that you know they'll they'll actually they'll just keep going and they just wrap them up and play on. You know, so you'll you'll you will see that happen quite a bit, and they'll wait to the end of the year to get the shoulder rico, and they'll just play through it as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Um, so that's that's that the, you know, the guys have the guys have a lot of heart they, they, they really try to get through so that's you probably see guys that are getting managed because of and you'll see them with the shoulder taping then you also see guys that maybe are coming back from you know from shoulder injury maybe that off season when they've had surgery and they've just kept it on all year yeah sound like my type of athletes fucking warriors I love them to be honest like you so you yourself being irish like you know the ga lads even though the, in terms of their physical preparation wouldn't be wouldn't be to the same standard as the Australian rules football players. Now the top level teams, maybe like Dublin senior footballers, wouldn't be too far off it. But in terms of just like that warrior mentality, the GA lads, you know, for the most part have it, which I always love. Because it was funny when I was in America too. The only sort of athletes that I got that essence off was the ice hockey players, just fucking psychos. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> just like you know. So like my, my my father always had this joke like about himself hurling. Like he, my father, <laughs> he's a funny man like my dad. Like and he'd say, you know, back in my day. One game, I went in and I had two broken legs and two broken arms, and I still had the hurley in my mouth. <laughs> you know, just just to say, like how yeah, hardy lads yeah. were back then. The hard yeah, 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 exactly. absolutely. But listen, uh, that's that's savage now. So what I want to ask is, like, right, let's get into how do you physically prepare someone for the rigors of Australian football? So two questions I have for you right now. First one, just to kind of give us a bit of more references. Give me your um, your physical preparation philosophy. Which is sort of your why, and then from that, where if if you're if you still remember this question, I'll remind you. Forget. Tell me about your whole system. So a, a system is how you put your philosophy into into place, and basically to me, a system is your assessment, your training prescription, and then your monitoring of that prescription. So what's your overall philosophy? As I plug in my laptop because my battery's going to die, and then what is your system? And you can take it away. So the mic is all yours. And this will probably bring us right up to the end of our discussion yeah so strap yourself in i think um so strap yourself in boys and girls yeah yeah, poke and prod me if 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 i go off track here um so the i guess the the philosophy or the what what i used to have um when i in my old job when i was head of athletic development we had um i remember actually writing this out and and really painting a very 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 clear picture of, of what i wanted from a the athletic development model with within port so what what is a port adelaide player look like so um and it was probably pulling upon quite a few influences and i'm sure they'll come out and so you've got your um so where our key thing in afl hamstring injury so we're going to have resilient hamstrings so how do we get that we're going to have um Tissue quality is going to be fantastic. The strength of that tissue is going to be phenomenal. The, the, the coordination of within the system is going to be fantastic. So we're going to promote a, a positive running model. So we're going to try and get as much front-end mechanics as possible, which then means that we have to have in place um, the correct hip distraction work first thing in the morning because we're going to demand of these players that they get more hip flexion than they've ever gone before. So we need to make sure that we have their hip health right so what what determines hip health how do we get that um where do all these pieces of the puzzle fit together um another huge thing for me was around 
um, foot health, and it's probably something which I've changed over the years. So um, probably going from a um, a program where you just kept going and you got more resilient as you trained more, to now starting to look at okay, what are the things which we can start to influence here? So is so we're doing if we're doing warm-up drills if we're doing what is the actual position we want of our foot and what do we want what do we want that striking position to look like so we've talked about front side mechanics but then let's look at let's look at those ground reaction forces and the direction and the nature of those okay so what are we looking for so we're looking for a, a midfoot strike with co-contraction of all the muscles and the appropriate architecture around it so that means that our warm-ups are are prep work our neuromuscular prep work to, and our, our our coordinative skills to get these guys that have ran 15ks a week in a game for the last 10 years they've played 300 games so how the hell are we going to influence that in from some very small way to make sure that we are making a difference so making sure that our uh, when we're doing, so then we go back, okay, so a bit of damn path, you do your walking drills, you do student mill and stuff, you do your dribbles, okay, what are we looking for? We re-educate them in how to place their foot on the floor. So we do that from how we do our walking lines, how we do a step up, how we do the stuff in the gym, how we do stuff in the warm up, okay? How do we, you know, we put that in place. Then we start to look at, okay, well, how do we skip differently? How do we do our A drills differently? You know, that all pieces together uh, a, a system which hits the player from all different angles to make sure that at the ultimate, at the end of the day, we get someone who has a fairly robust skill signature or movement signature around where they put their foot, where they put their knee in relation to their hip. Whenever we're talking about front side mechanics, whenever we're talking about you know the, the hamstring side of things, and that's probably Two things of maybe I think maybe I ended up with about ten. So we include your shoulder, we include trunk in that, we include hip positions, um, and so the anterior posterior tilt, um, and that that that's the 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 mechanics of how I, I kind of think <laughs> about what I'm looking for, and then how I actually get to the end result, which is my coaching environment. So I don't necessarily, and probably one of the the things which I I think sometimes gets misconstrued is that I I don't really care about what exercise selection you have. I care about why you've put that in place and how at the end of the day, and I mean literally at five o'clock when that guy's walking home and he's in the car park on his way home, how have you made him or how have you attempted to make him better at those specific things? Yeah, that that's the key thing. I don't care if you know you could have the you know I put in the sexiest new exercise that you saw on Instagram in your gym program, but if you're doing absolute bullshit work outside of that, well, that's not going to help. At the end of the day, you might go home and and think you're doing fantastic because you were able to upload and get a hundred likes on a new video, but have you actually made the difference? Whenever you put the whole melting pot together, have you been able to influence? that guy walking home um, or as he's got into his car, have you been able to make any meaningful difference to, to how he how he moves? Now, some of that stuff is obviously, it's going to be so minute, you're not going to see a day-to-day -day difference. And I talked about a meaningful change. Don't take me, I, uh, please take me literally, but I, I also understand that 
that means different things for different people depending on, on your background. And what I actually mean there is just over a longer period of time, are we seeing, are you happy with the changes that you're making and are, do you actually think you're making a change or are you just putting things together so that your strength program looks better um, or your conditioning program looks better than everybody else's? Like, do Are you actually making a difference? Um, so that that that's kind of how I think and that's how the system that I've tried to put in place over the years and I'm now guiding and leading um, other people formulate for themselves. Um, that's that's gives you a rough idea of, of what I'm looking for. I hope. <laughs> no, it's uh it's you know, it's funny in my head, like there's well, there's a few things in my head here. One is uh if you weren't a strength conditioning coach, you'd have to be an engineer because <laughs> you're so like, yeah, you, know, you, you have that sort of like, everything has to be like, just like perfect, which, which, uh, which I appreciate. And obviously the way you speak about like the, the medic, the technical model for sprinting there, like, you know, so that, you know, you, that you kind of have an appreciation for technical models and it just always strikes my mind. Like people who are really into mechanics, like obviously they, they probably would have tried in an engineering background, but uh, myself and yourself obviously have very mutual friends in Altus and I know you spent time there. So it, ma- it, ma- it makes sense to me that you have such appreciation for, you know, really wanting to develop the technical model of running. Cause it's so funny too, like is in like, I appreciate this because, you know, Hurland and Gaelic football for me over here in Ireland, like they're running dominant by sports and yet like it's only, and it's not even like, like nothing is done to improve the technical model of running. And it's so funny because whenever like you talk to anyone about like, you know, we really should work a lot on like the technical model of running. People always go, should we always do it with the ball? I'm like, do you realize like 90% of the time you're running without the ball? <laughs> you're running yeah. to the ball, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And go. that's it. And uh, the, the thing, the thing that I and it probably took, it took me an awful long time, like probably longer than it should have to actually get to the bottom of this, the answer to this. Like people always talk about, oh, oh, we should do technical. We need to do a technical session. We need to do, whether it was back home, whatever it was, like, oh, mm-hmm. these guys, people can see that people aren't running well. Like they, they understand that. Like it looks shit. Whenever it looks shit, it, it just, just looks yuck. Yeah. But, and they go, oh, okay, well then let's put in, let's put in a sprint session or let's put in a technical session once a week on a Monday to, to make them better. You're making, and that's probably what I mean about it. Like you're actually making zero changes there whatsoever. Zero. What you're doing is you're conditioning them in particular drills, but you're not actually painting the whole picture. You're looking at something through a very, very small. It's like you're, you know, if, if you're, if you want to look at um, one of Van Gogh's most beautiful pictures and, and you're, you're only looking at, at one, small one centimeter square of that and you're trying to make that the best as you can what you need to do is you need to look back and look at the whole thing and appreciate where you're making a difference and that's you know that's you know so that's where things like you know so if i do drop names then you're talking about okay well what what influences can we make to 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 capsule spaces what what sort of stuff can kelly starrett tell us about what what the the ideal positions or the deal archetypes we need to get into? What are the things which Dan and Stu and the guys at Altus can talk to us about this, the the minutia of of foot strike, the minutia of 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 the the connection with with that strike? Where where should we be? Like, and that can be done in warm ups. That can be done in you know as you're doing your frigging calf raises before you get out of the training why are you doing them how are you doing them what is the picture what is the context behind what you're doing like what is like that's the 
everything within that program from whenever they turn up in the car park to when they leave should have something around influencing them getting better as a as a player um, and as and as a, an extent of that as an athlete so are we doing the hip work are we doing you know are we, are we putting that in place are we putting the you know the, the, the correct biomotor capabilities in place in terms of trunk stiffness are we doing that mm-hmm. you know, are we just making sure that they can do planks for longer well i couldn't give a rat's ass if they can't dissociate and you know pull and co-contract at the same time whenever they have to strike the corner blah 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 all that yeah. sort of stuff so i think that it, it's really important that 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 is the picture rather than as you said oh people always say oh, oh i think we should oh, we'll, we'll get a speed expert in and we'll do we'll do this one session a week for the next six months and we'll all be better runners bullshit you will it's probably what you need to do is is work on all the other basics around your program and and fill those gaps in and do that properly and you'll probably end up with a better better athlete and, a, and as an extension a better runner yeah big time like i have tons of questions i want to ask uh you know so about you were saying about distracting the hip foot health you know i obviously that resonates with me because you know i got an appreciation for that obviously at altus but i'd love to speak more again about like your assessment model with the players the physical preparation sort of philosophy if you like within the club you know the strength and power aspect the energy system demands and then sort of monitoring but also too like the i like talking about like the weekly setup so the weekly setup in terms of off season in season and then how important it is that the like you know first Connolly talks about this concept of you know the weekly cycle being very important with the guys in terms of having a regular schedule for family and stuff so there's loads of things there that i'll touch on but first off we'll start with uh just the feet so the feet are something that a lot of people don't talk about and appreciate and you brought that up and as you said that it kind of just kind of you know as I said resonated with me and kind of like oh there's only anyone on the podcast who, who like have said they appreciate the feet which you know again on reflection makes complete sense because you're like mm, your foot kind of like is a big deal it's the main thing that's in contact with like the surface and like it's overcoming our weight and how we deal with gravity all the time so what are you guys doing from a foot care standpoint on, and a mechanic standpoint and also Mackers just as well in terms of uh, you know sprinting and technical models, just on, on on the on the back of what we just discussed there, maybe before you get into answering my question on the feet, how have you got players and the the sports um, coach staff to like buy into that? Because you know yourself probably too that like back here in Ireland, like you tell a coach or the players we're working on sprint mechanics, and they're like, oh yeah, this is gonna last two weeks, and then we're back to just all our technical tactical stuff, and it's gone out the window again, you know? Yeah. No, I, I I completely get it, and and I I've I've failed more times than than I've actually had any success with this stuff as well. Um, and the the so the the technical model how how I get the buy in, and it it's because we've got an incredible group. It like it no shit like the the things that they'll do for me is 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 phenomenal, and they actually are a very intelligent group that and they actually want to know why um and and they get the whys yeah. and it's probably it's that relationship so we've been there for a long time so you know, there's an implicit trust there there's there's so much and and i don't just get them to do stuff like uh, i'll you know there'll be i'll bled stuff into the program a long time before it gets into the into the model that's probably something that you know as part of this sort of system thinking is it um like before we'd start to do anything in a warm up. Um, so like, you know, you got 45 boys out there ready to get, you know, warming up to train. 
um, that's not the opportunity to introduce a drill for the first time. That's mm-hmm. the last place you put it in. Mm-hmm. The first place you put it in is maybe, you know, why don't you put it in the strength session when you've actually got them for a little bit of one-on-one time and they're actually paying attention to you. Let's put it in, like, or at least give context to it. So whenever you finish a step up, for example, let's finish in, let's just not get up as fast as we can and then get down again. Let's finish the, the, the position with a pose in which you want them to get into. So, and maybe just start to, start to use the vocabulary in which you want to talk to them about whenever you get them outside. So you actually have context towards, you know, whenever you get out there, you're not having to stop the, explain it. I, I never had, probably one of, if, if I was to say, make a grand statement, it would be that I never have to demo in a warm up because two words or, or a sentence of words get you exactly what you need by able to relay back to what they've already been talking about in the gym, in their, in their other sessions, um, outside of, outside of, uh, that, that particular warm up, And that, that's, that's a really important part, um, within that. So that whenever you do get outside, I'm not trying to explain the context behind why I want them to get, you know, their, their, their knee out in front. I've already done that a long time ago. Um, and it might even be a year ago, um, and they might have been playing around with things before that. So mm. it's both putting the whole the whole picture together, um, and that that makes a big difference. And that's probably helped with the buy in with this stuff because we when we get out there, we're delivering really good sessions, um, and the guys are really engaged from day one. There's not this learning effect um, to a large extent. There's not a, a large learning effect with right. within those warm ups, which which make it much more engaging um, so in terms, and, of, and, in terms of the, yeah. the foot the, sorry the foot just in case you, you need to yes sorry let's go back to the foot so the foot thing probably came about you know because like you know, and every ifl club is the same um and is that you know, we're, we're running like pre-season in particular it, it's it's and to coin your phrase it's it's a savage time like it is brutal mm. um there's there's a, there's an awful lot of case going through the feet and as you said Every single one of those meters is being, you know, there's there's forces imparted by those feet um, for them to carry themselves for these 30, 40, 50 k weeks. Um, you know, that's that's a that's an awful lot, um, and that's only the football sessions. Then you add in your afternoons of of gym sessions, of you know, extra work outside, extra skill work. Maybe you're doing walkthroughs, you know. Then you add in, oh well, maybe you have to go home and walk the dogs. You know, there's an awful lot of of load going through these bloody puppies every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 you know, I think and it probably shows a little bit of my naivety before. Is like, and it was the first time I went to see uh, at the Altus, um, and it was whenever they started talking about doing the walking drills at walking pace with the correct foot position for that speed rather than doing it on your toes rather than doing it in these very you know very plantar flex positions where your base of support with the ground is so narrow and so finite rather than this lovely big strong position that you can find yourself in you're actually ending up in this wobbly position so we would have whether it's foot stress whether it's medial tibial stress syndrome stuff whether it's it's stuff further up the chain like we're break, we're breaking bones because of the volume that these guys are doing mm. it's not 
and 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 the uh, yeah, plus for mechanics plus everything else um but you know that that's that's the that's the 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 savageness of 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 what you get to with this type of volume so we had to start putting better things in place so for me the foot health thing has been all around it hasn't necessarily been around intrinsic foot health and 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 foot strength as such it's been more around trying to find every single opportunity to make sure that we have the correct foot position on strike um mm. so making sure if there's you know isometric or quasi-isometric or the co-contraction of the ankle joint and everything else that goes around that or the foot joint making sure that everything is is in has the strength capacity to, to be able to cope with that for one-offs but then also the you know the ability to do that repetitively for a long period of time you know i think one of the the biggest and the saddest screening things you'll ever see is if you do a single leg calf raise um, with a group and expect them to get 30 or 40 off each leg. Um, there'll be some guys that will only get 10 um, with good quality, but yet we're making them go out there and run, you know, 10 Ks on a, on a moderate session. Yeah. And they're going to find, they're going to, they're going to get that 10 Ks in there. There's no doubt they will, but they're doing it in with, with a system which can't even cope with, going through full range of motion and maybe just a little bit of control for 10 reps of body weight. Like you are just asking for trouble. So I think finding the, the underpinning or the fundamental capabilities that are required for your sport is, is so important. And I can, another grand statement, I don't think that those change too much, but depending on the sport, I think that, if you're on your feet, you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z, no matter what mm-hmm. you're talking about. And that's maybe a bit of my, my Kelvin influences and, and, and my work in that area. But I think that that's that whenever you bore everything down and you stop trying to be a smart ass about it, you actually get some very, very resilient measures early on. And then that helps you with untold ability later on. No, I agree. Completely agree. There, there's many common denominators, you know, when we're talking about field-based sports. Um, but it, it just before I move on there, are you getting the sports medicine staff to spend a lot of time on the feet um, as, as well as doing, obviously, a lot of running drills to make sure that, you know, technical model is better, cocoa traction on the ankle is better, etc.? Yeah, it's more vigilance um, than it is anything um, from a manual point of view. Um, so we're looking at making sure that we, and and this is, you know, as much as a particular port, like the guys are phenomenal. Like they're, they're very, very diligent. They do the right things. And compared to a lot of sports, they're at the top of the pecking order um, in terms of that professionalism and whatever that means. Um, but they, um, you know, we still have to be reminded to change their footwear, make sure that they've got the right boots on, make sure that they've got the right runners, making sure that, you know, that they're seeing the podiatrist when they, you know, when there's things are changing. So when they change boots, when they, you know, this time of year, we're going into, um, into moldies or into what I would call moldies, but they call grass cuts down here, um, or grass cuts, depending on what part of um, Australia you're from, but you're going into different types of, different types of boots, different types of, of runners, and you're changing them maybe two, three times a session. Um, if you're if you're particularly if you're particular about that, um, 
and that all adds up and and it's probably making sure that we have um, decent vigilance on that and then making sure that that, that they're in um you know in the correct footwear and probably you know the other thing which i'll if things get bad you know but people forget down here it's, it's so freaking hot you know that as soon as you're as soon as you're done for the day you're in you're in flip-flops for the rest of the time mm. um and that's not necessarily the best thing for your feet particularly if you're you know you're recovering from you know from hot spots and and that that you know that crucial load that's going for your body then you're you're slapping around in a pair of flip-flops you know when you're, you're walking around and that just that additional load can just tip you over the edge particularly when you are so close to it already so <clears throat> listen i've got so much other areas i want to talk about so before we go on any further how much time do you have left this morning because i know it's family time this evening and plus morning time here i, I have stuff to be doing but are you okay for another 15 minutes uh, 15 minutes perfect Okay, and then we're going to have to do part two because, again, there's so much more I want to discuss with you, and plus I really like talking to you. Yeah, I, I, told, I told you you'd have to strap in. I knew it was going to be a big one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Get me, no, you get me going. It's exactly what I want. It's exactly what I want. Um, no, because uh, just because, well, uh, people are going to be listening to this going, like, this guy's kissing this guy's ass. But first of all, you're fucking sound. You're a sound human being, so I like talking to sound people. And what you're talking about here is resonating and i think you're making a lot of sense but i think just for the last 15 minutes just for myself too um and for the listeners i'd love you just to kind of describe the off season there for the aussie rules as because again just going back to that word like just savagery just like the savagery of that off season in terms of the volumes that's put in so again kind of going back to this idea like what do you do from an assessment standpoint so boys come in What's the movement assessment like? What's the physical capacity assessments like? Then with the off season, what is just the training like? What's it look like? And I know like there's going to be individuality built into each player's training program, but you know I'm sure within, yeah. within that there's a global sort of there's a global sort of context that that that's applicable to all the players, and then obviously you can individualize within that context. So like the assessment, movement. Uh, physical capacity or or uh, an analytic profile if you like then what does the actual uh training process look like you know bring us through like maybe a week in the off season or a typical week if that is possible and then how are we monitoring these lads and just a question I'd like you to tackle if possible in the next in the last 15 minutes here is like I, i've heard of some of the running volumes they do off season and like my question, the first thing that came to my head is, is it really necessary that they do that extreme volumes? Is that more of a, is, is it just, is that more of a psychological thing to say, listen, we, we clocked up this in training. So, you know, a match is going to be fucking nothing to us now, but uh, yeah, t- take it away. So off season there, talk us from the one, the, the, the day the boys come back, you know, so assessments, um, again, a movement, uh, a physical capacity, the training process, the monitoring a week and maybe a weekly schedule there, and that'll take us up to close. At least. <laughs> oh yeah, listen, um, I come here. I come here. <laughs> just, just if if we don't, Mackers, like we'll call it and we'll get our part two in whenever we can get it in. So there's no rush. No, no, I swear, I'm jo- I'm joking. I'll try and I'll try and do it without talking too fast because well, anyone who's listening to the they're going to. Yeah, they're going to understand your accent anyway. So hopefully, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. hopefully we don't get too quick. Um, so look, if I go through generally what a, a week looks like uh, in preseason in terms of the sort of the flow of it, as you said, you know, Fergus um, talks about you know the flow of the week and how things are structured and, and making sure that there's a pattern to that. Um, so 
yeah, we have a few things going on. I'm, I'm, I'll, I don't think I'm, there's any state secrets in, in what we do or what any FL club does. But, um, so we'll, we'll train. Um, so training to us is football training. So we'll do that um, on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday in the mornings typically. And that is roughly, that's going anything from sort of like 50 minutes of drills right up to, to God knows what. Um, as long as we get our, as long as we get the appropriate loading and progressions that we need, um, and um, so on that we we get as much as we can within drills, um, which is no shock to anybody. But we also add, um, you know, we we will pro- we will go from more straight line stuff early on in the preseason and try and top up the volume then, um, and then as we get closer, we'll we will introduce so as contact increases as this spatial as the density of drills gets tighter as it gets longer um depending on what's going on you know the change of direction and load is a big thing for our guys as well so apart from hamstrings um being the biggest and the most prevalent injury probably adductors and long-term groin pain a bit like the the GAA boys you know that that is the bane of bane of society um over here as well so we try and manage that as best as possible and that's via by drill selection and and obviously how we top up their conditioning outside of that outside of their actual game drills um so that's monday wednesday friday we'll run and we'll do an extra conditioning session on the saturday um so that will either be some sort of fart like some sort of maybe maybe one drill but then also it might include where we start to manipulate uh, the training uh, the stimulus so we might put them on the hills so the hill running on a on a Saturday is a very common thing on an AFL schedule, um, and so then if we go into the the afternoons so or the other sessions which we'll have, so typically Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon, so we work a full a full day. Um, I said in inverted commas, so you're in from early, you leave sort of around dinner time, um, and that afternoon session, you'll have a, a sixty minute gym session. Um, and that will depend, uh, and I can go into a little bit of detail around that. But the, depending on the load of the week, um, you'll it's your main strength sessions um, will be there, and then you'll have different rotations. So what we call um, craft or skill acquisition or or technical drills um, are done in in smaller groups in the afternoon. So that might be going outside and doing you know some kicking skills or that might be doing some handball skills or that might be walking through tactics um or that might be just sitting in a classroom and doing some some extra work on on some of the feedback or or feed forward of what how we want to play next year um so it's a bit more of a classroom type session the third rotation depending um on the day will be uh, a recovery block so that might be typically that's a, a massage and and some sort of recovery whether that's cold water immersion whether that's hot colds whether that's spa whether that's pool mobility um there'll be there'll be something else for those guys to be to be getting on with in that session as well outside of that um yeah there's a tuesday morning um which which we have changed every year i think that we've had um a pre-season um we've changed the how we've done that and um, we've gone from days whenever that's been like a pure um, like a you nearly know, like special strength or like a transfer of strength type session mm. um, into just a pure upper body session. And then we would, and being like an off feet conditioning type day 
Um, so we'll smash the guys, um, making them do um, pool sessions, boxing sessions, upper body sessions, um, what we call sweat box sessions or, you know, what bike session type things um, and just getting them to get that extra top up conditioning in um, from a very global point of view. Um, rightly or wrongly, um, and there's, uh, we, we've, we've always battled with the, the balance between what we need from a culture and environment point of view as well as from a technical um, point of view and from a pure um, physiology point of view as well. Um, but we tr tend to get the balance right between what they, the structural demands of the week and then uh, the emotional and um, psychosocial sides of, of, of what we need to get them to do as well. Um, so that, I, I know that's a little bit scattergun, but that gives you an idea. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday are full days. We've got a half day on a Tuesday and a half day on a Saturday. So those half days typically are made up of conditioning um, and, and other work, whether that's um, career development, whether that's um, you know, extra treatment session, whether that's extra therapy, whether that's extra um, you know, sessions with the coaches in terms of watching what they need to do um, to be better the next day in training. That's the type of stuff that goes into those, to fill in those gaps. Um, outside of that, we'll include, you know, there's lunches on, at the club. So we try and look after them from that point of view as well. But we do try and give them as much time away, um, particularly as, as, the, as, the, as the weeks unfold. It gets a little bit monotonous. So we try and make sure we change things up as much as we can. That's a phenomenal answer. And it's funny because I was going to follow up, but like, why do you do that on a Tuesday? Like, would it not be a bit detrimental, like coming off Monday and then trying to have quality work on Wednesday? But then you completely answered the question saying that, listen, there's a, there's a psychological and emotional standpoint that needs to be addressed here. And I, I think anyone who works with a team that will resonate with them because it completely resonates with me. Just before we wrap mm -hmm. up in, um, just from because obviously you have a big passion in movement. So what are you doing from an assessment standpoint with movement there? I uh, I know like you know you've been influenced by Kelvin. Do you do you do some type of movement assessment? Because again, you have such an appreciation for movement. And um, what what is that looking like? And then just in terms of testing, then in the in the in, in the in the off season with the boys, what sort of testing um, parameters are you looking at? Yeah. So um, with the, the idea around and and this is this is an actual like literally my thesis around our movement ability um so i'll try and keep it as 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 concise as i can um so we, we uh or i developed alongside a, a whole heap of very smart people um what we call the triple a which was the athletic ability assessment um and that was a three-point scale across three different areas within each movement so the, the, and, and this is an interesting one because this has come up a lot as the evolution of our staff has happened. Um, and obviously you look at different things. So the triple A is not like the FMS where it is an overhead squat. It's an inline lunge. It's a push-up stability test. Like it is, there's no definitive test within it. All, all I want people to do, and I've definitely mentioned this already in this podcast, is it's, I want people to think really well about why they're looking at something so yeah with you know i'm with with her people and unless you're dan path unless you're Stu mcmillan unless you're matt jordan don't dare come to me and say oh well every warm-ups movement assessment because you're not you're not good enough to tell me 
what you're looking at within that unless you're that unless you're those boys so thank you have god to have thank that. god you fucking said that that drives me fucking yeah. bananas oh yeah. the warm-ups my yeah. assessment i'm like shut the fuck, fuck off, off. Yeah. yeah if you're not like i'm so, like you're not gonna like i know that's a that's a controversial and very grand statement but i genuinely think you you have to be able to tell me what you're looking at um and and why and why you're actually doing that movement in the warm-up in the first place yeah. that's the that's the key to me so the, an example would be um so okay well oh, well we have to look at overhead squat oh well why 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 do you have to look at a, a movement okay well wh- what i prefer you to say um is the, to say okay Marcus, what i want is i need something so in the sport that we're looking at we need these guys to train overhead so we need them to have really strong ability to get themselves into a full flexion position overhead where we're actually you know, we're looking at their head position. I, I really, really like where their head position is because I think that tells you a lot about the shoulder girdle or that tells you a lot about thoracic mobility. And then I want them to be able to, because we're in a running sport and we're going to sprint, I want to see that their hips are a good position and that the ability to, to dissociate their, their lumbar spine from the hip and, and the knee is, is, is in a really good position and that they can do that under control and then possibly under a little bit of load. And then finally, what I want to say, well, because they change direction a lot, there's probably going to be a lot of, you know, I don't want to see too much sway from side to side. So I need an exercise that's going to look at that. Oh, well, okay. Well, I think the best exercise to maybe hit all three things there is maybe an overhead squat. But you might go, oh, well, nah, I think it's an overhead walking lunge. Oh, well, fucking great. Do that. Because I think you can get exactly the same things that you're looking for with either one of those exercises. I can give a shit. I want you to, I just want to make sure that you're looking at the, the right things within it. And that's the, that's the key thing for me. And then what that does is that then enables you to then create a, a system or an assessment criteria, which aligns to how you actually coach. Don't tell me, I, I, I am not going to tell anybody that you have to look at where your hands are in relation to your feet in an overhead squat. And that tells you if you're good or bad in overhead squat, because for some people, they might be big in to thoracic mobility versus shoulder mobility versus you know, where the hell, you know, you might have a big protruding chin as you do that. Oh, well, I don't care about that. Okay. But that's a kind of a crucial thing for everything that goes on with any sort of upper body pressing and pulling. So should we, should we con- concentrate on that? Um, and then if you're maybe you're more of a breathing sort of postural guy, well, shit, that's, that's absolutely what I'm looking at. So let's make that the priority. Then whenever you're scoring it, that's what you're looking at. Uh, that, and it's, that's the, that's the crucial part. And that's the, the, it's the way to think rather than this, this, this actual exercise is, is the be all and end all of an assessment. Yeah. So if you if you want the the exercises that we do, it's super easy. So we look at overhead squat, we look at a, a single leg RDL, uh, we look at push up, pull up, and we look at a, a lunge and return. So a, a forward and backward lunge in one motion. Um, they're the three. They're the five things that we look at within the modified AAA at port, um, and we've got some 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 research in that area. So if you look at some of Carl Woods's work or or if you 
they find me on ResearchGate, I'm sure you'll be able to find the papers um, which start to discriminate um, between good performers, bad performers in AFL. So we are able to now see that, hey, the guys, you know the reason that, well, you can suppose or propose that the guys that are actually been around for a lot longer, they move better than the guys that are only starting out. Now that might be a result of the system that they've been in and they might have been around a full-time program for a lot longer. But war of attrition would mean that there's a lot of guys out there that move poorly that aren't around anymore. And even the guys that, if I look at our squad and I see the guys that are old and grisly and beaten up, they actually move a lot better than from a fundamental movement point of view than a lot of the, the guys that are literally half their age and you would think would be much more dynamic. They're, no joke, I've got guys that are paid professional footballers that when they do a, a, a lunge forward and a lunge back with body weight, hands on hips, they fall over. They have to put their hand on the floor, stop themselves from falling over. Mm. But yet, I've we're all it. talking I've about it. I, I will believe it. I've seen it. You know, particularly yeah. see, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this, sorry to cut in real quick, but uh, do you ever see boys who had broken toes trying to lunge? Like, oh, you were not rehabbed. Ah, oh, you, you were not yeah. rehabbed from this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's br- brutal. You know, and, and that's the thing, you know, so maybe, you know, whenever you're looking at the lunge, you start to pick up, shit, this guy's got really shit, you know, dorsiflexion. Okay, well, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's, that's a big problem. That's you know, we're talking about issue, foot yeah. health. You know, these guys can't even get into the positions. We're talking about where we're going as far down the line as talking about foot strike and co-contraction. We can't even get the guy to move his freaking ankle into the right position in the first place. We're in big trouble. Um, you know, so I hope that's not, I hope that that is actually pretty coherent. Um, it, no, it is, Michael. It's, it. it's, it's all great. It's all great. And listen, Mir, listen, you family time now, and this is our, this is our hard stop, and I want to be respectful of your time because just for the people who listen, like the, Ian was extremely, what's the word I'm trying to think of here? Um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think of, Mackers? You know, when you were, Obliging, you were extremely oh, ob- obliging uh, when trying to when trying to sort out a time that suited both of us. And in fairness to Mackers, he told me how important family time in, is is with him in the evenings. And I that, like when people write that back to me, uh, you've actually no idea for whatever reason. That's just like my like respect for an individual like goes up like a thousandfold or whatever. Like it, like just like indefinitely when people say, "Listen, I have I've I've a fucking promise my family that this is family time and like I'm always like, Do you know what, I completely respect that and Ian in fairness to me, it's the evening over there now and it is his family time and I'm not keeping money longer, even though I've got like another fucking thousand questions for him. But we absolutely will have to do a part two, part three. Because it's like I could just stay talking to you for ages. Because again, I have loads of other stuff. Because I, I really lo- would love to talk to you about. I, I have no doubt there's a coach here in Ireland, Kevin Stritch. He's actually involved with the Longford Senior Football Team, but he just loves talking about energy systems and like just he just loves talking about it. So he'll be he'll he'll be wanting me to, to ask all about like your development of the energy systems with the boys down there. And plus, I want to talk about it too. But just before I let you hop on and 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 speak and uh, wrap up I just want to say listen I really really do appreciate making time and like I said being so obliging uh, with your schedule um, really appreciate it you're a fucking savage human being there's that word savage and I really appreciate <laughs> our conversation and if you have anything you want to add uh, if there's anything if there's anything you have wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say yet you can say it now if there's anything you wanted me to ask that I didn't get a chance to ask say that and then obviously 
Um, if you want people to be able to contact you, let us know that, and then we'll wrap up and I'll say goodbye to you offline. Yeah, mate. I, no, you, you're way too kind. Way too kind there. I appreciate. I appreciate your um, you know, talking about the time and stuff. It, it's um, it's certainly something that it's in it's a new part of me. Um, you know, it's, it's a, important, man. A little it's bit important. of stuff. It is yeah. very important. It's important. Um, man, yeah. um, we can talk yeah. about fucking sports science and preparation all day, man. But when it comes down to it. The family and the friends are the people you spend your most life with and they're most important. And to be honest, I'm only saying that now because uh, like people listen to my podcast. I talk about fucking everything. I'm an open book. But uh, like the, the last few months, I've been realizing that I've been neglecting my family in terms of just my, my parents. And, and what I've been realizing is actually the more time I've been giving to them, the more happier I've been as a person myself. So I just it's, it's resonated with me how important the family is, you know? Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree, I couldn't agree more. Being on the other side of the world from from family, it certainly makes you appreciate um and how awesome how awesome they are. Exactly. Um, yeah, look in terms of in terms of stuff uh, to talk about, yeah, I said we've, we've probably promised a, a a part two and a part three. Um, and and I really look forward to those. I'm sure we can deep dive into a lot of our other areas. And if there's any other questions that anyone comes back with any of the, the stuff that the drivel have talked already um please just 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 get in touch and i'm, I'm more than happy to, to to clarify or or, or delve deeper and it probably ships ships our next episodes um and like just um maybe in the show notes or or however you want to do it but please get in get in contact um i'm, I'm pretty contactable over by you know, the usual social media stuff um and and yeah you can dm me and i'll i'm sure we can we can flick uh, flick emails after that if, if anyone has any particular interest in, in in doing that with me. I'm I'm more than happy to try to to, to see that up. Yeah, it, w- one part of me is like do it because you're so great to talk to, but another part is like don't because I want the time. <laughs> but, uh, so I'll, I'll put all all the all the um, all the uh, information that we mentioned on the show on the show notes. So like your your research um that's open research gate, and I'll put your social media handles there too. But listen, I'm gonna wrap up now, and then I'll say a quick goodbye to offline. So for all the listeners, as I've been saying lately, you're spoilt. But for now, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.